0: I think we we all recognize that Yahadus consists of both creed and deed, that the mitzvahs hatorah seek to instruct and regulate both belief and behavior. The overwhelming majority of mitzvahs focus, of course, on deed, on behavior, but we know. The Rambam's Yud Korim. And we know that these Yud Gimel Korim are encapsulated within mitzvahs as well. Anoche Hashem Elokechor is one of the mitzvahs. Believing in, in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the, the creator of the world. Sh'mai Yisrael Hashem Elokechor Hashem is the second mitzvah. Believing in the the, 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 the unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that, that, that He is one who is the source of everything that exists. So we know... At the beginning of Haskalah, it, it, it was, Yahad, this was distorted, this wasn't acknowledged, it wasn't recognized, but I think we, we all recognize that today, that the mitzvahs HaTorah, again, consist of both creed and deed, that they instruct us, both with regard to belief and behavior. And moreover, I think we do see some points of intersection between the two, in that some of the mitzvahs, Maasiyos, some of the mitzvahs on the practical plane seek to inculcate basic uh, beliefs, whether it's the mitzvah of Shabbos, which is clearly geared towards reinforcing their munna of who created heaven and earth in six days. So there is some some intersection, there is some intertwining between these two areas. But the uh, the topic that I'd like to explore with you this evening is how the Ikariya Muna, how the fundamentals of faith, which Yahadus teaches us, should be manifest in our behavior as well. And the, the basic theme, the basic thesis is that our beliefs, our beliefs about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, about Hashkocha Prates, and and the various Yesodiya munna can't be exhausted by simply checking off a yes in a questionnaire. If we're giving a questionnaire so uh, so sociologists are always trying to take the pulse of uh, of be it American jury or be it American people as a whole when it comes to issues of religion and religious beliefs. So you believe in Akhidesh Baruch or don't you believe? Do you believe in an afterlife? Don't you believe? So we used to, so you know, you, you check off the, the appropriate column. But rather, the, the Torah expects that these beliefs, again, are something that we not only s- subscribe to intellectually, but it's something which also controls and molds our behavior. And th- this is something which can be illustrated by looking at many, many areas. But we're going to try to focus tonight on two areas. We're going to focus on our belief in Hashkocha Pratis, in personal divine providence, as well as our belief in the omnipresence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, that, that, that part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's infinitude is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is everywhere, that there is no spot, there is no place where a person is not, in the presence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So, what implications do these have in terms of our behavior, in terms of our demeanor? So, let's first begin with the belief in hashgacha HaPratis. Now, just just by way of uh, of a full disclosure, the contours of the belief in hashgacha HaPratis, which we're going to be assuming, are agreed upon by many of the rishonim, Ravina and the Ramban, and the Sefer HaChinuch. Um, but not necessarily all Rishonim. It's not necessarily the case that this is something to which all Rishonim would agree. And, and let's approach it through the Torah's account of the reconciliation of, of Yosef HaTzadik with his brothers with the they cut. So Yosef, when he reveals, he, when he discloses his true identity to the brothers at the beginning of Hashem's Vayigash, so Yosef Atadik says to them, Gishuna no Elivay gishu no come approach me and in fact they do approach him, and he says, Ani Yosef, achichem, Mitzrayim. I'm 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 your brother Yosef. I'm the long lost Yosef whom you sold into servitude and eventually I came down to Mitzrayim. And then Yosef makes a rather Strange comment, seemingly strange. He says, Don't be upset, don't be agitated that, that you sold me here. So already we begin to get the sense as though Yosef is whitewashing and exonerating what the brothers did. Don't, it's not really you did it, really HaKadosh Baruch was orchestrating things. And Yosef HaTzadik then reinforces this. A skipping one. <laughs> who, who realized that there was going to be a famine and that Yaakov's household would have to come down to Mitzrayim. So HaKadosh <laughs> Baruch sent me before you <laughs> that you would be able to survive, that there will be someone who will look out for you here. And now if there was any ambiguity left in Yosef's take on what had happened to him. So he seems to to clarify it entirely here with the next passage, and now, Lo Atem you're not responsible for my being here, but rather HaKadosh Baruch is is responsible for my being here. So it seems quite clear that Yosef is fully exonerating them. And if all we had were these Psukim, right, if we just had a just these psukim, and we were asked to, to, to describe what Yosef's reaction is. So Yosef basically seems to say that their v'chirachoshes, their free will, was superseded. And that HaKadosh Baruch Hu used them as instruments in his divine plan. That's what it would seem to be. And yet, that seems to be a, a very, very difficult reading of the psukim. Why? Because in the previous pasuk, in the very previous pasuk, before we began reading... So Yosef says to his brothers, Ani Yosef, Haudovikhoy, is my father still alive? They were so stunned and so overwhelmed and, and so 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 scared that they couldn't answer Yosef Hatzadik. So the Gramm says, and it's a famous Madrash that Miyom Hadin, right? Woe to us from the ultimate day of judgment, woe to us! From the ultimate day of rebuke, Sheharyel said that, that the shift they caught the brothers, so they were only rebuked by a boss of adam. They were rebuked by someone mortal, by someone human, and yet they were they, they were just so overwhelmed and stunned into speechlessness, and into into silence. So alachas kama how much more when we will have to stand? in judgment before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So what was the din? What was the tochoche here? So we're all familiar with the famous explanation of the Beis HaLevi, that Yosef's question of HaOd or Vichai wasn't an innocent inquiry. Because at the end of Parshish Miketz, when the brothers had last appeared before Yosef, so Yosef had already asked for an update on the condition of, of Yaakov Avinu. And they had told him everything they knew and they hadn't been home since then. Because Yosef had had them arrested. On, on the charge of stealing his, his geviah, his, his coast. So they didn't have any new information. So why was Yosef asking again? So the Beis HaLevi says, that's what Chazal saw the tochocha. That's where Chazal see that there was rebuke here, that Yosef was saying, ha'od avichai. is it conceivable that Yaakov Avinu has been able to endure all the suffering and the anguish that you caused them through your actions? So Yosef, right here within this very same audience, Yosef clearly is, is indicting them. Yosef is rebuking them. <laughs> Apparently Yosef thinks that until this point, without that final tochacha, the tshuva isn't yet 100% complete. So Yosef clearly is not exonerating them. So how does Yosef turn around and say, Lo atem machatem osiheina, lo atem shalachtem <laughs> osiheina You didn't send me here. You didn't dispatch me to Mitzrayim. It was rather HaKadosh Baruch so the answer is, and this is a little bit subtle, it, it, it assumes two premises, one of which is very much intuitive because it's something that we, we feel and we experience. And the other one is not as easily, as easily seen, it's, it's not as easily experienced, and for that, matter, for that reason, it seems initially to be counterintuitive. But l- let's try to understand. Yosef HaTzadik here, is basically telling us an entire theory of of history and of the interplay between Bechira Chavshis, human free will on the one hand, and Hashkocha and divine providence on the other hand. And Yosef HaTzadik is, is here introducing the following distinction. There are two perspectives... That a person can have on what happens, right? Two perspectives. There's, 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 there's the perspective of the subject, right? The subject is the one doing, the one acting, the one who 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 causes. And then there's the one, there's the object, the one to whom something is done. So Yosef HaTzadik says as follows: From the perspective of the subject, if I'm looking in the mirror and I'm, I'm making a cheshman hanefesh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm introspecting about things that I have done so then a person should know that it's a pillar of Torah. The rabbin says without this all of Torah is, is meaningless and, and is impossible is that we have free will and that whatever we do we do out of our own free will and because of that morally, religiously, we are 100% responsible and accountable for anything and everything we do. That's from the perspective of a subject. Okay, So therefore, if I wronged someone, if I insulted someone, if I hurt someone, if I hit someone, so then I did that out of my own free will and I am 100% morally liable and accountable for what I did and all the consequences thereof. But what about from the subject of the object? What happens if instead of being the perpetrator, I'm the victim? What happens if I'm victimized? So what's my perspective on that? So Yosef HaTzadik says, you are 100% morally culpable for what you did, and because of that, I am giving you musa, I am giving you musa, but I want you to know, why are you scared? Why are you scared? Because you think the next step is that I'm going to take revenge, right? You think that, that if I recognize and i calling calling to, to your attention, your liability, your culpability, that the follow-up, what happens in the next stage? The next stage is that I'm going to take revenge. No, you're making a mistake. Because from the perspective of an object, from the perspective of the one who was victimized, so then my belief is, that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't intervene and didn't foil your Bechir HaKavsheth, that means that for me, this was predestined. For me, Yosef HaTzadik says, it was predestined for me that I go through this whole ordeal and end up in Mitzrayim. It was not predestined that you be the instrument if you, if you, with your nefarious designs, hadn't provided the the instrumentation, so HaKadosh Baruch, Hu is, is this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't lack means and methods of implementing His will. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have had me uh, get lost and fall into the hands of some some other kidnappers. It didn't have to be you. But I recognize, again, as the object, from that perspective, I recognize... What happened to me is Kilo it it 's one of the one of the mysteries and, and miracles of haskarcha Pra. I remember many, many years ago as as a, as a teenager. I once asked my father, zaharcha how can we, we study history, be it political history, be it military history, and analyze things on the secular level of, of cause and effect if we believe that ultimately the ultimate cause and effect is, is spiritual that, that the Rebam determines what happens so wh- what's the justification well, wh- where, does, where does history fit in and, and what my father answered me then is that one of the, the miracles of divine providence is that HaKadosh Baruch, Hu, Baruch Hu sees to it that things unfold on two levels Things unfold on on two levels. Yes, ultimately, what Hakadosh Hu allows to happen is determined again on the ultimate level. On the ultimate level of what Hakadosh Hu decrees for the world in response, again, to our to our actions, what we uh, kaviyachol force him to do at, at times, and yet Hakadosh Baruch Hu lets that unfold through natural channels, and therefore it's. It's, it's not wrong, it's not incorrect to, to be able to analyze what the long-term causes of, of anti-Semitism are and what they were particularly in Germany and all the turmoil in Germany after, after, the, after their defeat in World War I and how all this... Um, fed into the, the, the cauldron of, of Nazism and culminated in, in the Second World War. That's all true. That's all true. The same way one can say, as the Chumash itself does, that the brothers were, were jealous of Yosef HaTzadik and because of that they felt enmity towards him and because of that they sold him. But again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed that to happen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had his own reasons for not foiling their Bechir HaKavsheth. So the... <coughs> The, the distinction here is, again, that there are two perspectives on anything that happens. If I'm the subject, if I'm the one who did, if I'm the actor, so then I have to recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows me to act with free will, and because of that, I have to accept the full responsibility for what I do. I can't say, "Listen, obviously it was Bachet that you should get a bloody nose." No, I did it willingly. And I didn't do it because I got a nevua, because I got a command from my Kodesh Baruch Hu to do it. So I am fully liable and accountable for what I did. But Meidach Kisa, on the other hand, the person who is victimized, so he's supposed to recognize, as Yosef HaTzadik does and says that if you didn't if HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't foil this if HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't when the person fired HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't make a misfire as, of, as often happens so it means that for whatever reason so HaKadosh Baruch Hu did endorse the result for totally different reasons and for totally different motives obviously than the, than the human perpetrator is doing it but HaKadosh Baruch Hu must have must have ordained this result. Now the first of these premises that we act with free will is something again which is intuitive. I think we feel it. We feel when, when we make decisions that, that, that we have the, the, the ability to do or not to do and we realize that we're acting of our own volition. It requires more reflection to understand and to, to appreciate the second that again the person who wrongs me he's not the ultimate cause many years after thinking about these uh, psukim for a long time and and uh, thinking that this was the, the pshat my, my brother showed me the svasemis you take a look at the svasemis in Pasha's Vayigash so Kedako Vakodesh in three lines the svasemis uh, condenses Gufei Torah. He has profound and, and wonderful ideas which he, he, he compresses. So the Fasemist you'll see in Pashas Vayigash has this analysis of the of Yosef HaTzadik's comment as well. You'll take a look just as further corroboration for this idea. There's a remarkable passage in the Seifa HaChinuch. The Seifa HaChinuch commenting on the prohibition against Nakama taking revenge. So I think our our uh, initial reaction is why does the Torah prohibit, prohibit taking revenge? Because again, morally, it's, it's a very corrupt midah. To, 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 to even a score, to take revenge, is something which, which is morally corrupt. And for that reason, the Torah prohibits it. Seyf HaKinuch says nothing about the moral or ethical corruption involved. I don't think he, he disagrees with it but he doesn't say anything about it. The Sefer Chinoch says you know why the Torah prohibits Nakama? Because if I seek to take revenge against you so that means that I think that you were the ultimate cause of what happened to me. Because otherwise what's the, what's the rationale for, for getting, uh, for getting uh, revenge is to get even. right? So that means that you must have been the ultimate cause of of what happened to me. And the Sefer al says, that's wrong. A person should know, a person should know, he has the phrase, ye te'na libo, that kikol asher yekrehu, Mitova Adra. Whatever befalls a person, whatever happens to a person, whether it's good fortune, or Rachman al not good fortune. So the Sefer al writes, who siba shatovo olav, love Hashem yesbarach that the ultimate cause is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And from a person, nothing can happen. Because if someone is seeking to wrong me, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want that result doesn't want that result. That's not part of his plan for me. So then HaKadosh Baruch who intervenes and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will foil it. He'll make the V'chir unsuccessful. That they won't succeed. Memele says the Seif HaKinuch. That's why the Torah prohibits Nekoma. Because in seeking Nakoma it's theologically wrong. Not simply morally wrong, but it's theologically wrong. So let's reflect for a minute on... on, on on, on, again, the our fundamental belief in Hashgacha Pratis. What do we see here in, in the, the encounter between Yosef and his brothers? What would we describe as the natural reaction? The natural reaction Yosef Hatzadik should be happen should be having is a tremendous anger, tremendous anger. I, I mean, just imagine, imagine the suffering that Yosef Hatzadik endured. There should be tremendous anger. There should be a desire for revenge. There should be, uh, there should be a, a grudge. And yet Yosef says, I want you to know, I feel none of that. I feel none of that. Right. So Yosef's emotional reactions, how Yosef is acting, how he's reacting, all of that is conditioned by what? By the ikar by the fundamental of faith that we have in Hashgacha Pratis. So if the fundamental of faith is not just something to which we intellectually subscribe, it's not just a yes on a questionnaire, but if it's something which is internalized, so then that conditions us. It conditions our actions, our reactions, and this is is a perfect example. Let's take another, still discussing Hashgacha Pratis, let's take another example of this. There's a very, very famous passage with which I'm sure you're all familiar in, in the Ibn Ezra in Parashas Yisro, where the Ibn Ezra says, "Rabim Tomhu Many people are uh, puzzled. Uh, puzzled? How can the Torah have a mitzvah not to covet? How can the Torah have a mitzvah not to covet? Just to, to dramatize the Ibn Ezra's question a little bit, let's say you have a poor, homeless person, Achman Homeless person hasn't had a square meal in days. He's starving. He's walking around in tattered clothing in weather like this, maybe even more frigid weather, and he walks outside a beautiful palatial mansion, and he sees he sees the fireplace the glowing, and he sees it's warm, and he can see on on the on the dining room table he can see it's full of delicacies, and and he sees the upholstered chairs, and and he sees the the the, the comfort and the luxury. So how can a person, how can he not covet? How can the, the Torah can tell him, okay, don't break in and steal. Don't break in and try to take over the the, the house. The Torah can regulate our actions. But how can the Torah regulate that reaction? Now, the Ibn Ezra, Ezra obviously isn't writing in English, but I think if he were, and if he were writing in, in, in our contemporary jargon, I think that the Ibn Ezra would make the question even more pointed by saying, isn't it just an instinctive reaction to covet in such a situation? And how can the Torah how can the Torah regulate instincts? That the Torah can regulate actions, maybe even beliefs, but how can the Torah it's not premeditated when that poor homeless person has this instinctive reaction. It's nothing premeditated. So how can you tell him, no, control it? What do you mean control it? If, if someone hits you, so the nervous system works, that you feel pain. So tell someone, don't feel pain. You can't tell someone not to feel pain. It's an involuntary reaction. So to hear, isn't it an instinctive reaction? Isn't an instinctive reaction involuntary? How can the Torah regulate it? So even Ezra answers with his famous Marshall, right? the famous Moshe. He says, let's say you have this the, this this, this villager, uneducated, poor, lower class villager. He says, he doesn't for a moment entertain the possibility of marrying the princess. He knows that it's beyond the realm of possibility. What's beyond the realm of possibility, a person doesn't covet. What's beyond the realm of possibility, a person doesn't covet. So too, the Ibn Ezra says, if a person would realize... That whatever one has, whatever one's lot in life is, however much wealth, whatever one's financial state is, whatever one's marital status is, assuming that one is doing his best to... to, to, to that one is doing his best to to make his uh, hishtadlus and is taking appropriate human initiative, so then one knows that what one's one 's one's portion in life is that which Baruch Hu has apportioned to him, and with all the all the strategies and, and, and all the tactics in the world, a person can 't get can 't get anything more or beyond what HaKadosh Baruch Hu apportions to him. If a person then realizes it, so then a person will say, I may not know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu has decreed poverty upon me, Rahman I may not know why he's blessed him with comfort and why he's challenged me with poverty. I may not know the answer to that question, but I know that that's his will. And I know that it's not... It's not this person's enjoying the luxury which is responsible for my deprivation. And what's more, it's beyond the realm of possibility for me to attain what HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't ordain for me. But, so how exactly... This is the Ibn Ezra's Moshe. But how exactly is he answering the, the, the original question? Again, it's an instinctive reaction, right? It's an instinctive reaction to covet. for This poor homeless person, isn't it instinctive... Ibn Ezra here is telling us something very profound. He says, at the time we react instinctively, it's true; it is involuntary. But the process of forming instincts is very much voluntary. Yes, at the moment he walks by their home, yeah, at that point it is an instinctive reaction which happens so quickly that that, that it probably is involuntary. But what conditions his reaction? What conditions his reaction? Moshal maha dova doma. So let's say uh, a person has a weakness for, uh, for, um, for a certain food. right? And he sees that food. Okay, so ordinarily A person desires the food. He wants the food. Let's say he knows that someone injected, he watched, someone wa- walked over with a syringe and injected poison into the food. So what's going to happen? He's going to have the same involuntary instinctive reaction? No. It depends upon how he views it. He's not going to view it that way. He's not going to have any great uh, desire to be able to, to, to eat that food. So instincts, it's true that when we react instinctively at that moment, we're not controlling them. But our instincts reflect, again, beliefs and convictions if a person has a belief if a person has a conviction again, which is deeply, deeply held and deeply, deeply rooted that what a person has again, a person is supposed to take all the appropriate human initiative but then recognizes that thereafter whatever a person has is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has seen fit to apportion to him so then one's, inst- one's instincts are different one's instincts are different and by internalizing belief, the Ibn Ezra is explaining that one can create, one can mold instincts as well. When the instincts are active, at that point it's, it's difficult, nigh impossible to control them. But we can control and mold our instincts. And again, here too, we, we see that, that, that this, again, this belief in Hashkocha Protest, this belief. In this, in, in personal divine providence, again, according to the Ibn Ezra, that the Torah expects us that that should manifest itself again in my instinctive emotional reaction. It's not just something to which I intellectually subscribe. Yes, Rabbenu Shalom, I believe in personal divine providence, but yes, Rabbenu Shalom, I act and I react, even instinctively, in accordance with my belief in personal divine providence. Let's just consider one other The the second of the Asaras Adivas Elohim not to believe in other gods. al What does al mean? So Rashi says, kol zman as long as I exist, right? Which means that since I Baruch Hu is eternal, so it means that this mitzvah is, is binding like, like all the mitzvahs of the Torah for all eternity. Ibn Ezra and, and the Ramban understand Alpanai in a. They have a a, a complementary, a supplementary understanding of what Al-Panay means, and they say that the I forget they have I forget who quotes which psukim, I think the Ramban quotes the pasuk of Vayomos Horan Alpanei Terech Aviv. What does it mean Vayomos al Alpanei Terech Aviv? It means that Horan predeceased his father Terech. He died in his fa- in, in his father's presence, right? In the, the Medrash. Uh, uh, reconstructs for us very dramatically how he died in his father's presence. But that's what the Pesach says. So al panai, according to the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban, means, in my presence. In my presence? You can't believe in other gods, in in, 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 in the falsehood of other gods and divinities, in my presence, says HaKadosh Baruch And what does that mean? So, so on which continent... Uh, does that refer to? So obviously, again, this is a reflection of our fundamental belief, again, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is omnipresent, right? And that's when we refer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Hamokom, as in the, 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 the way Tanchumim, uh, condolences are, are generally extended. Hamokom, Yenachim, So basically what Hamokom means is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Makom O'Shal Olam, which means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is omnipresent, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is omnipresent. Now, Again, so this is a fundamental, a fundamental article of faith within Yahadus. So what, what are its implications in terms of, again, of, of behavior? Does this have implications for behavior as well? So basically, this is the most repercussive of all the and Munna the Ramah in Seminolef in, in and Shulchan Aruch in his very first comment quotes a passage from the Rambam of Avuchim and, the, and the, the Ramah hundreds of years later this was made into a uh, in, into a song so the, the Ramah quotes from the Rambam about Shivisi Hashem and Negdi Sonmid who call God over Torah right this is a major major principle and pillar of Torah why so? So says the Ramo, and again. The, this uh, this is is, is, a, is a quote from the, the Rambam in Moranavulchim. So the Rambam says as follows: that uh, the way a person moves is his movements, um, the way he conducts himself the way he, 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 he sits, the way he walks, the way he speaks, if a person feels that he's in the privacy of his own home, so then we let our guard down, right? And we, we, we behave one way according to one standard. If a person feels that he's in the presence of a great king, so then we hold ourselves to a higher standard, right? We hold ourselves to a higher standard depending upon who's present, right? We, 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 we're at sometimes We're we're on our best behavior. So says the Rambam, quoted by the Rambam, So how much more so, never mind just imagining, which isn't true, that we're in the presence of, uh, of, of, uh, of a great human king. But how much more so, if a person realizes the truth, that HaKadosh Baruch HaShem right? That, that, that the cover, the glory of HaKadosh Baruch Hu fills, permeates the whole world Omed Allah, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is right here in our presence, right? We're really in His presence, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is right here in our presence so then, says the Ramah, so everything we do is transformed everything our entire demeanor everything even the way a person walks right sometimes you see from the way a person walks sometimes you can see gaiva you, you can see arrogance just in, in in a person's gait and other times you can you can see the opposite you can see it from a person's uh, movements and motions sometimes you see you can see edelkite, and sometimes you see uh, gentleness refinement and sometimes unfortunately w- w- one one can see other things Says the more if a person, quoting the Rambam, if a person will only, will only, if a person will only be cognizant, we'll, we'll translate that in a moment, more precisely, if a person will only be cognizant of the fact that we're always in the presence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, so then again, just just imagine that from our own experience when we're on our best behavior, just imagine. The discipline that we show in, in manners of speech, in manners of speech. There's so much pettiness that we let we let it, we let it slip, we let, we let it we let it go by without without comment, without reacting because we're on our best behavior because we have uh, we have guests we have guests in, in the home and and we speak we're, we're, we're careful make sure there's no vulgarity we're careful to, to speak speak in a refined manner and what's more if, if, if one's in the presence of uh, of, of, of a dignitary or in, in, in the presence of a big Talmud Chochem so a person speaks as little as possible a person is very careful he thinks it's inappropriate to be uh, to be talking away so says the, says the Rambam all of those manifestations all of those transformations should always be with us if only Yosim That again, lo panoi. In my presence, and when the Kodesh Baruch Hu says "in my presence," it means wherever we happen to be. So these are two, two examples. If we had the time, we could give many many more of fundamental articles of faith. He sodas Again, the examples we gave are hashgachah belief in personal divine providence. As well as Hakadosh Baruch Hu's omnipresence, and how that should condition our behavior, how that should mold again not only our actions but our reactions as well, even those which are instinctive. But l- let's just spend one one last moment. But but how so? How so? What happens if What happens if, if, I, if I if I look in the the mirror, right? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Why is it that I do believe in Hashgachah Pratit? And why is it that I do believe in, in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's omnipresence and yet all these practical results and manifestations I don't, I don't see in myself. So, so w- w- what has gone wrong? What's amiss here? So there's a very... Sometimes, sometimes w- w- when we're confronted with such questions so I, I think we're, we're inclined to look for and to hope for some very deep and profound answer. And sometimes the answers are very simple and very direct, not easy. Sometimes the more profound answers seem to offer a a shortcut and seem to be easier to implement. And sometimes the answers are easier to understand but more challenging to implement. And and the principle here is, is as follows that in order for these yesodos and in order for these articles of, of, of faith to condition our actions and reactions in order not to be able to be homemade in order that our anger against other people should not only be undercut should be preempted it's not enough to believe we have to internalize belief it's not enough the Yodata Hayom, but as the Torah follows up, it has to be internalized. So now at least we can formulate the question, well, how does that process unfold? How, do I, how, how does one internalize? So the Mesila Sisharim says, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote my Sefer, Ramchal says, I, I wrote the Sefer not to teach you Chidushim, he says. If you think you're going to gain what this Sefer has to offer by studying at once. So in what virtually everyone thinks w- was an excessive display of modesty, he says, you're not going to find many chidushim in, in my Sefer. So I, I don't think that the judgment of history agrees with him on, on that score. But what he says later is 100% valid, notwithstanding, Masih Yisar says, but what's needed is constant reinforcement, constant review, constant repetition because the, the more the same way Rabbi Akiva watches the water again it's just the, the reinforcement the, con, the, the constant repetition which results in, in, in penetration so that's the way a person internalizes something also right? that's, what, that's the lesson Rabbi Akiva recognized in watching the water dripping on the stone and that's what the M'sir Susham says the Hasmada he says the constant continuous reinforcement a person thinks a person reflects let's talk about a person sets himself sets himself the goal again of internalizing the belief in Hashgachopatis the Chovas Kalmidin talks about this also the, the need for constant reinforcement so let's say a person sets himself the goal and says you know I'm lacking in many areas but I recognize this is one of the areas I want to improve here so a person takes, takes an index card writes down writes down the the, the Rosh Hei Prakim writes down an outline of our belief in Hashkoch again that as the Sefa Achim says in Mitzvah Nakama. again what happens to me as the object as, as the victim it's no human being who's responsible for that whether I understand his design or not HaKadosh Baruch Hu is ultimately responsible and a person who reviews that Again and again and again. Again, he takes he takes a minute, two minutes out, twenty times a day, thinks about it, thinks about it. If he can, he even says it aloud to himself, and he does that again and, and again and again. He reinforces it. So then, just like the water does, penetrates and wears away the stone, so too that he internalizes that belief. And it's remarkable if you go back and you, and you look at some of the sources that we mentioned just by, by, by way of illustration. So the Ramah quoting the Rambam, when the Ramah says that Shivisi Hashem lenegi Samid, if only that we would maintain an acute awareness of being in the presence of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, how it would transform everything. So notice that the Ramah does not say Kishayeda Yeda when a person will know Hagodol that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is present, but he says Ha right? It's not enough to know. Knowledge doesn't. Knowledge doesn't do it. If, if you'll have a chance, take a sefer hachinuch on Seifa va'yikra, and you'll see that he uses the exact same phrase. He also uses the phrase of yiten elibo. It's not enough to know these Soda Sermuna. It's not enough for us to know the Rambam, Zud, Gimel, Ikarim, But we have to internalize those Ikarim. If we internalize those Ikarim, how do we internalize those Ikarim? So there's no, there's no magical, profound, quick answer. But there's a rather very pedestrian almost. Pedestrian, straightforward, long answer. Just with reinforcement. Constant Reinforcement. And that helps us translate the V'yadah hayom, what we believe and what we know with full conviction into V'hashavosa L'Vavecha. That allows us to internalize it. And then that allows us, again, to not only be ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim, but also that that should be reflected in, in the entire range of our behavior, in our actions, our reactions.